Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. How do you like the health care, folks? It's going to be very good. A little negotiation, but it's going to be very good. The intention is not to take down the bill. The intention is to make the bill better. What Republican leaders have put forth is truly shameful. But Republicans believe we have a responsibility to act, and we are, for our constituents, for our state, and for our country. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about Donald Trump the president who promises the most beautiful health care plan you can imagine. I'm Jamel Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's show. Today is Trump Care Day. On Thursday morning, Senate Republicans released the draft of their health care bill, a modification of the American Health Care Act, the House bill, meant to repeal the Affordable Care Act and restructure the American health care system. After the House passed its tough-minded bill, which increased the number of uninsured by $24 million, most observers assumed the Senate would soften it, sanding the hard edges down to something more palatable. That was wrong. The Senate bill is even more draconian, phasing out Medicaid, raising premiums, and punishing states that attempt to provide more generous health benefits. It is, to use President Trump's words, a mean bill that embodies the values of the most right-wing Republicans in both the House and the Senate. Ordinarily, this would be the ball game. As a general matter, lawmakers don't pass legislation that might harm constituents in such a direct way. And yet, Republicans seem intent on passing this bill. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell adopted a secretive process to craft the proposal, and he intends to hold a vote next week. That's one week to discuss a bill that would affect one-sixth of the economy. That's one week to debate provisions that affect millions of Americans. That is one week to get the public's input. It remains to be seen if the bill will survive the coming torrent of criticism and pressure. But regardless, we shouldn't forget that this is unprecedented. A major political party advancing legislation that may harm millions of Americans with little deliberation and even less input. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To discuss the contents of the bill and the potential fallout, we have Jordan Wiseman, Slate's senior business and economics correspondent and host with Slate political writer Jim Newell of the Trump Care Tracker, a Slate podcast on health reform. Hi, Jordan. 
Welcome to Trumpcast. Hey, Jamil. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So this morning, there was a bill that came out. Uh, it a was bill, a, yes. a, a bill. <laughs> it was a healthcare bill, and it was the uh, previously secret healthcare bill that was being crafted by Senate Republicans. So to start out, what should we know broadly about this bill? What are sort of the broad uh, strokes of what the Senate has cooked up here? So my entirely objective take on this is that uh, the bill the Senate has crafted is actually far crueler, remarkably, than what the House managed to put together, um, which is sort of an achievement unto itself that the House of Representatives managed to, you know, write health care legislation that had like 20 something percent approval rating that even Donald Trump thought was mean. And it seems like in sort of a bizarre and not even so subtle way, the Senate has gone and done something that's going to be even more destructive to the U.S. healthcare system um, and affect more people negatively in the long run. And so now beyond that sort of, <laughs> beyond the take, here, here's specifically what I'm talking about. Um, the House bill, as you know, was sort of awful to a lot of people in the individual market, right? right. That it kind of stripped a lot of the consumer protections or potentially stripped a lot of the consumer protections for people with pre-existing conditions. And it wasn't so great to Medicaid either. You know, it rolled back Obamacare's Medicaid expansion. But what made that bill so controversial was really what it did to the individual market. It was it was crueler to the individual market. Let's right. Put it that way. What I, whatever call whatever call is that that bill essentially completely deregulated the individual market such or, that or it gave state it gave states the opportunity to completely right. deregulate it and you know slash subsidies for people to buy insurance and and restructured them in ways that didn't make sense and would have deeply penalized the old the old and sick especially. Um, so that was that was sort of the most, in a lot of ways, the most remarkable thing about that bill. At the Senate bill, and I don't want to underplay how, how awfully the, the House bill treated Medicaid, but what the Senate has gone and done is created a bill that is a little bit gentler to the individual market, right? But just decimates Medicaid over the long term, just absolutely decimates Medicaid. And what you have to understand is that Medicaid is America's biggest health insurance program. It is, at least by enrollment, it is 52 million people. You know, it is the size of the, of Medicare and the individual market combined, right? I mean, Medicaid is this immense part of the American healthcare system and the, and the Senate bill just throttles it. It's, it's really remarkable. And so how does, how do they do that? Well, both the House and Senate want to do something historic by capping Medicaid's per patient spending, right? This so, has never been done before. Yeah. To, to start to, to back up a little bit, how is Medicaid presently funded? My understanding is it's a, it's a joint kind of state-federal program. Yeah. And so the way it works now is that states and the federal government basically split the cost of every Medicaid patient. And the federal government kicks in a different amount of money or a different percentage of the cost depending on the state. But it's always a fixed percentage. So, you know, if, you know, just to, I'm kind of pulling out a number of thin air, but if Say the states that if the federal government says we're going to pay 60% of every South Carolinian's uh, Medicaid expenses, then it's 60% whether or not it costs $7,000 or $3,000 to cover them for the year, right? So uh, that's, that's the basics of how it works. And so there's sort of this unlimited budget for, for the program. It's an open-ended entitlement, as people like to say. Um, Republicans want to end that. What they want to do instead is cap the amount of money that uh, the government would kick in each year to the state. So you each state only gets its four thousand dollars per patient or five thousand dollars per patient or probably less than that. But 
So you set this pool of money, you give these, you, you put this per capita cap in place. But the problem is you have to adjust that for inflation, at least, right? Or inflation is going to eat the program away to nothing. And so the House bill, it used this measure called the CPIM or the medical consumption or the medical cost element of the, of the consumer price index. And that, that is expected to grow slower than Medicaid would otherwise. And so it still amounts to a budget cut, but it's still somewhat related to, you know, medical costs over the long term. Right. The Senate kind of takes this idea and then makes it more draconian. Um, and so basically they do the same thing as the House for several years, uh, up until 2025. But then in 2025, they switch the inflation measure. So instead of, um, growing the program based on medical inflation, they just use the regular old consumer price index. And the consumer price index, that's the thing that also tracks the cost of food, the cost of television, the cost of your carpet, uh, of the books on your bookshelf, you know? I mean, it's all this stuff completely unrelated to, to medical care and it grows much, much more slowly than the cost of medical care. And so eventually over time, the value of Medicaid funding is just going, Medicaid, you know, Medicaid funding is not going to keep up with the cost of providing for sick people, of getting, of paying for people's hospital stays and for their checkups and for their medications. And so states are going to have to, are going to have to make the program less and less generous. And, you know, this all sounds extremely technical, but the difference between what the Senate is doing and what the House proposed, we're talking over the long term, hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, we're talking immense change. It's, it's the kind of, this would be absolutely devastating to Medicaid. And so the question is, you may be wondering is why are they, okay, they're, they're devastating Medicaid. Why are they doing that? It's like, well, it's because they're trying to, it looks like they're trying to spend a little bit more to make the reforms to the individual market a little less abhorrent, I guess, or a little, a little bit more politically palatable. Essentially, Republicans have decided that they're going to, or the Senate Republicans have decided they're going to try and keep uh, Obamacare's tax credit structure in place, um, the subsidies for individuals that people can use to buy individual health insurance. They're going to keep the same basic, the same basic structure of that in place, but they're just going to make them a little bit less generous. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to make fewer people eligible for them and they, and the subsidies will cover essentially less care. They'll be worth less money, but they'll, they'll still, you know, be higher for the poor and they'll still be targeted towards low income people. Um, and they won't, they won't kind of leave people hanging out to dry quite the same way the House bill did. Right. I mean, what you've described sounds less like an Obamacare repeal bill, which is how this has been framed and sold, and more like a Medicaid repeal bill. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's reminiscent of, of you know, welfare reform. I know right. It's a subject you've written a bunch about, I've written about, um, you know, what one of the, the most important things that the Republicans and, you know, Bill Clinton did to welfare back in the 1990s was they they block granted the program and essentially the per capita cap um, that Republicans are now contemplating for Medicaid is a version of a block grant. It's, it's uh, less restrictive, but it's still kind of it's a cousin of that idea. Um, and, you know, that just means that you send a set amount of money to the states each year. And then what they did with welfare was they just didn't adjust it for inflation. They let inflation eat away the value of the program. That's not quite what they're doing here. They're still going to adjust it for inflation, but they're not going to allow the program's funding to keep pace with the cost of actually providing care to people. And so its value is in real is, is essentially going to be eroded over time. It's going to pay for less and less care. 
And I, I, I assume that because the values are eroding over time, what's probably likely to happen on the state level, states begin restricting enrollment to make up for the for the declining um, declining funds. Well, it's it's actually even even more complicated than that. that oh, well, that's good. That's good. Part, yeah, right. <laughs> it's actually more complicated and sadder than that. Um, if you can imagine, there's sort of there are a few things the states could do, right? Because on the one hand, they still get money per enrollee. However, you only get so much for each person. So one thing that incentivizes you to do is to just, you know, cut what Medicaid will cover. You're sort of incentivized to just like make the program stingier, just say, oh, we're not going to cover prescription drugs or, you know, we're going to, you know, there are all sorts of optional services like dental care that Medicaid doesn't have to cover. And those are probably going to go in a lot of states. Um, so it's, you know, we're going to pay doctors less. Um, and as a result, fewer doctors will probably accept the program. That's one thing you can do. Another thing is to try and find ways just to weed out really expensive patients. And like, again, it's not exactly clear how states can do this, but as you and I both know, they've proven exceptionally good at keeping people away from welfare. So I imagine they will find creative ways to keep very sick people away from Medicaid. Um, so it's to kind of make sure that you just enroll the cheapest Medicaid patients, which essentially, you know, boils down to the healthiest ones and you leave the stick out in the kind of cold. In the end, you're still you're still seeing the total amount of funding go down. And so, you know, one easy way to do that is just enroll like if the states are gonna have to shoulder more of the burden uh for this program, they are going to be tempted to just enroll fewer people so that they are on the hook for less money. To to back up real quick, part of the political obstacles to passing this are some Republican senators say that they are worried about what the House bill did to Medicaid. And this is sort of taking the House bill's approach to Medicaid and going even further. And it's kind of worth saying as a parenthetical that it's 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 funny, right, that the House was blasted for what it did for the individual market, which is relatively small in the scheme of things. And to the Senate, almost, a, almost to avoid that reaction, has crafted something that will demolish a much larger chunk of the American healthcare system um, that involves many more people and really kind of a cross section of America. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think the you know the only reason this makes political sense um, is that people on in the individual market seem to be a little bit more politically active, seem to or seem to be better represented in the media, <laughs> seem to you know they, they seem to have a little bit more voice in politics and maybe are a little bit higher income. Although that's that's a bit of a question. So. I can sort of see the political calculation. The idea is just that Medicaid patients are, don't vote, you know, right. don't, you know, they don't donate. Um, they don't, you know, they don't have, you're talking, you know, in Southern states, they tend to, to be entirely honest, they tend to be disenfranchised minority populations and in, 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 in to a large extent um, or disproportionately. I think that's where some of the political calculation comes here. It's safer to attack Medicaid. At least they think it is. I'm sort of, I'm not sure that it is because I'm just, just thinking about this. Medicaid has become increasingly popular over the last year. Um, many Medicaid beneficiaries are elderly. They are uh, yeah. in nursing homes. Um, they are uh, receiving some kind of care since Medicare doesn't cover all the costs of healthcare for uh, older people. And so you would imagine that, you know, they have families, maybe their families are, if not affluent, then like reasonably well off and politically engaged and so on and so forth. It just seems like a big political gamble to to go this hard after Medicaid. And I, I know you are more of a policy person, but I'm curious to know what you think about what Republicans are thinking. Um, because in addition to all sort of the policy stuff, this is just an unpopular bill. At no point have any of these Republican healthcare proposals garnered anything 
even approaching like a third of public support. It's pretty consistently held down around 28 to 32% of the public support this bill. So why do you think Republicans are moving forward on this? Um, something that, that really seems like it could backfire in a pretty catastrophic way if, if it gets think, implemented. I think there are a few reasons. Um, and just, just to go back for a second, you are right that there are, the fact that Medicaid does provide so much care for the elderly and also the disabled actually might be the big political liability for Republicans here. Um, if you are even an upper middle class fa- or middle to upper middle class family, pretty much your only hope of paying for a decent nursing home is by getting your grandmother or grandfather on Medicaid. It's just, it's too expensive otherwise. You know, that's, that's where a huge part of the program's budget goes. And so, insofar as people are familiar with Medicaid, you know, upper middle class families are familiar with it, politically active donors are familiar with it. That's, that's how they know the program. And so that might cause, stir a little bit of a revolt. That now about why, why do I think Republicans are going ahead with this? I think there are a few reasons. One is just the pure desire to do something, right? They said they were going to uh, repeal Obamacare. And so they're going to be passing some sort of Obamacare bill. They, and they're go, or they're going to be passing some sort of repeal bill. Um, they want to cut taxes as a part of that. They have to fund the tax cuts in order, in, therefore. And that means cutting something and looking around, you know, what's, what's the biggest pot of money? Medicaid. Um, and there, you know, re, there are procedural reasons why you might do it the way they have involving reconciliation. But in the end, it's a big pot of money that you can use for tax cuts. That said, I also think there's a, a, a serious ideological thing going on here, at least among some Republicans. Absolutely, in the House, guys like Paul Ryan have wanted to enact a uh, to reform, quote unquote, Medicaid this way for for years and years. You know, he talked about how he was dreaming about this when he was a a, a frat boy doing keg stands or whatever. Extremely weird, by the way. Yeah, extremely weird. Right. (laughs) But like, it can only be true. That's how strange it is. Like, Republicans have been trying to block grant Medicaid at least like have seriously been trying to block grant Medicaid at least since the 1990s. This was part of the welfare reform debate. In fact, the per capita cap was something that Bill Clinton himself kind of offered up as a as a counter proposal to the Republicans, and thankfully the whole thing fell by the wayside at the time. But I mean, this this is a long standing goal for the more ideological part of the Republican Party, and so they see their opportunity, they see the chance to do it while labeling, um, you know, do it as part of quote unquote Obamacare repeal rather than doing it as sort of a, a standalone uh, bill, which would be even less popular, probably. And so they're taking their shot while they have it. It's like, you know, it's the Hamilton, uh, I guess, principle. I'm not going to miss my <laughs> shot, right? Like, that seems to be what's going on. So I think it's a combination of just the sheer desire to do something about Obamacare and seeing this ideological opening with tax cuts to boot. All that said, it is deeply unpopular. So part of me just has to think that some Republicans have convinced themselves that Democrats are too inept to ever win an election again. So like that, that's probably somewhere in the back of their minds, too. Right. Um, right. Or that gerrymandering will save them. So, you know, there's there's that as well. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, make, I joke about gerrymandering, but a lot of Republicans are in safe seats where they will not suffer political consequences, no matter how unpopular this is nationwide. So they are allowed, able to do this without fearing, you know, getting voted down come election day. Although, of course, senators represent entire states and aren't gerrymandered. So I, I which for me makes it even a little more mystifying for why 
um, so many purple state senators seem willing to get on board with this. But um, that I, I think th- Rob, I think Rob Portman, for instance, is a really you're right. It's like a really interesting example here. Like, you know, he represents Ohio where his own governor is saying, don't do this. You know, he's got John Kasich sitting there begging, essentially, not to go, begging the Senate not to go ahead with this plan. And he seems to be just following leadership anyway, at least up till now. Maybe that'll change. But it it, it is, he, there are some cases where it is a little, I, I can't even think of a, a particularly good reason, other than maybe there, maybe ideologically he's just committed to it quietly. Well, it's still very early in the, the I guess, the saga of Trump care, um, but it was good to have a nice explanation of kind of all the pieces on the board here. Uh, so thank you, Jordan. Uh, and uh, I guess now is the time I say where I have been speaking to Jordan Wiseman about the Republican health care bill. Along with Jim Newell, Slate's political writer, Jordan hosts the Trump Care Tracker, and they will be talking much more about this bill as it moves forward. Thank you, Jordan, for joining me today on Trumpcast. Thanks, Jamel. And that's our show for today. Before we go, are you following us on Twitter? To keep with the latest from us, be sure to follow our handle at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast. And are you looking to check out a new show? Go listen to one of our newer shows, I have to ask. It's hosted by Isaac Chotner. Past guests include Senator Chuck Schumer, White House reporter Ashley Parker, and one of his recent shows with the novelist George Saunders. You can find all the episodes of I Have to Ask at slate.com slash ask. That's slate.com slash ask. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon. And I'm Jamel Bowie. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.